The theme for the evening talk is Endings and Beginnings. I wouldn't call it a millennium talk. Um, we're in the first days of December, and being in the first days of December of the last month of the last year of the last century of the millennium, it is very highly probable that between now and into the beginning of the new year, the poor old mind is going to be bombarded with daily hype about millennium. Rather, it, it was an M-word, meditation, but unfortunately it's going to be millennium. And no doubt plenty of people come the new year will feel utterly exhausted and never want to hear this word ever again for the rest of their entire existence. When every expert, every analyst, every broadcaster, every journalist, every writer, and you'll be walking into your local uh, bookshops and you'll see the word millennium stuck on as many books as possible as the publishing world endeavour to cash in on the whole millennium campaign and this will work its way day in and day out right through, I'm quite sure, to the uh, end of the year and there'll be a, a couple of, in this country, old lang signs, and then people will be asking on January 1st, my goodness me, what was all the fuss about? And human beings, we have a remarkable and extraordinary uh, capacity to engage in this build-up and projection and labels and, and wrap it around a tremendous uh, amount of uh, information, views, opinions, etc. around something which doesn't actually exist on this earth. That is the millennium. It's not to be found in the ground, it's not to be found in the trees and in the mountains, it's not to be found uh, on the earth, it's all in the mind. And yet, there will be people, and that may apply to some of you as well, as you go through these uh, days with the countless pressure, oh, what shall I buy my friend for her new millennium? What shall I buy uh, him? Or what's for the children, or for the relatives, or the friends? It's all part of extraordinary pressure as though we don't actually have enough pressure in our life uh, already. One can't help but feeling that uh, the primary interest, the governing interest uh, in all of this, with the goodwill and the kindness which will be expressed, and that's beautiful, but also in the uh, world of the corporate world and in the government departments with the Millennium Project, there's also a great deal of uh, financial, economic interest going along as well with it. So to have, I feel, some inner space uh, uh, around this and see therefore just how much uh, of that in our connection and relationship to it, how clear, kind, uh, appreciative, steady one can stay through each day with all of this uh, going on. And hopefully those of you who have a television set 
not only remember that there is an on switch but are equally capable of remembering that there is an off switch and one can use it. And similarly at times as well with uh, the newspapers and all, all of that and as one goes into the shopping world and all, all, all of that to reserve one's uh, clarity and a certain kind of dispassion as well at times to be able to say no. Or if one's rather polite, no thank you. So all of this to eyes and ears, nose, tongue and touch will be coming towards us in a very intensified form over the next few weeks. There will be people who we will know who will be going into terrible debt and a year later, long after the millennium has gone, will be paying off their visa card, having gone into debt. And therefore the anxiety and the worry still carries on, feeling pressure to have to buy, feeling pressure to have to, have to spend. And therefore, not only in, the, in potentially what is a rather joyful and happy uh, social occasion, can also and equally become a very distressing one and particularly when the alcohol and the cigarettes get underway as well. You need some awareness and sensitivity to keep the joy and the, and the fun and the good spirit of these things uh, alive, but to be extremely watchful and just aware, wisely aware of the consequences of endings and beginnings. As I say, in, uh, over the days and the weeks, endings and uh, beginnings, they, uh, we much talk about it in a ho- uh, whole uh, variety of, of ways. And some of you may have been sitting here today with regard to the millennium and wondering what you're going to be, do, be doing on December the 31st and what you're going to be doing on, on January the 1st. Well, the probability is you'll be breathing in and out. probability is you'll be seeing and hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. It will be just another day, the sun will come up in the morning, it will go down in the evening, and as far as the nature is concerned, where on earth is this millennium? And to be able to sense and feel and appreciate that, and to recognise and acknowledge light is seeing and hearing, smelling, tasting, sky above, earth below, things unfolding, may help to keep us a little clearer, a little happy and a little sane amidst the, the tyranny of oppressive, oppressive pleasure. Basically. In using it as a small uh, reference point uh, for, uh, for ourselves, that, that uh, willingness, as we've spoken uh, earlier in terms of the capacity to be and to be steady and to not to make a great fuss about things will help to keep one centred and comfortable because there are some people and it may include some of you who are here already having fears of about the end of this month having fears about the, the new year and also feeling left out or feeling oh, others are going to have been having a great time and uh, I won't be, it's just going to be uh, nothing special or whatever. Again, it requires clarity and comfort not to make a big fuss about a number in the mind 
or a particular day of the week. Please, your own contentment of, of, of mind, whether you spend a quiet day at home in your flat by yourself and you see nobody and you don't get a single phone call, some of you can regard yourself as being blessed. And others who are busy, busy, busy and the phone never stops ringing and people this, that and the other and told, come here, come there and all the pressures may not be so blessed after all even if one gets a little ego satisfaction about feeling popular. For many ways in our day-to-day life, our endings and beginnings, that you and I can look at fresh ways in fresh life upon, uh, upon circumstances, but always to keep sane in this world which has too much insanity in it, we need to see a little bit beyond the what, the conditioning of the mind. What 2000? Where is it? Some of us have fled, we've escaped, and not entirely, unfortunately, but, um, and that uh, uh, for some of us um, would be in parts of the world where 2000 really doesn't mean too much, and there isn't any uh, connection at all with um, uh, Christianity or with um, the conversion of uh, religious festivals into uh, secular events, which is what is, what is happening. And therefore the uh, rabbi from Nazareth is hardly known in plenty of parts of the world. So even on, at the planetary uh, level, it is a certain culture and a certain environment which um, makes a great deal of, of the particular event. But for many, and especially the underprivileged, don't have even the privileges that all of us here in this uh, room have. And I know for myself and a variety of uh, uh, friends in going later, going actually later, nine days' time for myself, to uh, uh, India and uh, to Budhgaya, which is the place of the Buddha's uh, enlightenment, of his uh, awakening. But we had some discussion, Catherine was there in Budhgaya last uh, uh, year, and, and what we uh, decided upon was to try to use the event, and you may consider in your own ways how that might be possible for you as well, to try to use or convert the event to give support to those who know nothing of the event, who couldn't afford to know anything about it, and are the marginalised people of the earth. And so what we decided to do was to have uh, three days in Budgaya, and that is the last uh, two or three days of the year and the first day of the new millennium, and to make it a fundraising uh, event and the children in our school, all of whom belong to the poorest families in the village, uh, would put on a concert for us, the Westerners. We will invite Westerners to give a concert for the local Indian community. Westerners who play sitar, sarod, tabla, Indian singing. We're going to have a larger slideshow in the village 
of the village and one has to remember in these circumstances that the men and women and children often have never seen a photograph of themselves let alone seen themselves on a rather large screen and also a kind of, um, dare I call it, mini Buddhist woodstock meaning the less than talented westerners will be uh, in the village as we do at the end of the retreats each year as a uh, rock and roll basically and dancing and the local Indian community come and watch this eccentric behaviour of uh, West, uh, Westerners alongside hopefully some silence and some uh, teachings uh, around the Bodhi, Bodhi tree but all with the view to giving support to those who are desperately poor and so perhaps and it may be possible in endings and beginnings again that for some of you you might like to give some time and some reflection rather than what, I am, what am I going to get out of this new millennium but rather turning the consciousness around and saying what am I going to give to those who can't afford a penny to celebrate it but in what way can I actually turn the event around instead of the I thinking of as some of you may be what am I going to do how am I going to spend the last day in the new day of the new millennium what gestures, what acts of kindness and support can I show a consciousness that's bigger than I bigger than me, bigger than self and, and that certainly would be a, uh, a shift it would be a minority interest, a minority view but it certainly would be healthy on behalf of everybody or of all of us in fact so it's okay, it's just use it again as a small uh, example uh, in, in our life where we have understandably a certain kind of pattern of thinking that takes place in which the world we want to fit into the self what I want for me at this time and we're saying basically let's nuke self-interest basically let's blow it apart not, let's not make the self the centre of the stage of life because it is not and therefore we are much more true to existence when our self is not running in the centre of things morning, noon and night and our awarenesses, our interconnectedness our responses to others help to show that we are not the individual is not the centre of things and that ought to be obvious to us so obvious it ought to put into perspective our self in relationship to the whole spiritual ecology of existence so endings and beginnings are intended in one example that I'm giving to be uh, uh, an endorsement an encouragement for us to look again are we just thinking in the same old socially conditioned way that's all to ask ourselves am I thinking over this next three or four weeks as the intensity builds up in the same old socially conditioned way having said all of that someone might be moaning and groaning inside oh god he's moralising tonight well welcome to do that if you wish I don't I couldn't care 
uh, couldn't care less, but at least one might just stop for a moment or two and say, is there other ways of looking at these things? I just put forward one possible consideration for people, for, uh, for uh, all, all of you. We could explore, and we'll explore, some other areas where um, endings and uh, beginnings. And in that, in our attendance to um, present and our attendance to uh, past, we're probably quite uh, aware, hopefully, and deeply aware, in, in fact, of the various ways in our life that the past has its bearing and has its influence upon the present. And sometimes, of course, that's in very necessary and in very healthy ways. How would you and I know anything if we did not have some support and some benefit from the past? And that may show it well show itself in our variety of experiences from yesterday and yesteryear. It may well show itself in language, of course, which we have learned and developed with accumulated knowledge, etc. So there is much for any intelligent and thoughtful person to be grateful for with regard to what was days, weeks, months and years of our life and to be clear about that appreciation and that acknowledgement from what was and the way it helps us to contribute to understanding what is and what might be. And this is a but with a big B, big U, big T, but. And it shows itself again in the unsatisfactory influences of the past upon the present. This is called in the tradition karma. When it hits the present, when it enters the present, it's called the fruit of karma. So that, in other words, there is some accumulation, some pressure, some situations in our life which gradually build up and then it becomes unsatisfactory. And if you think of any unsatisfactory habit that you might have, if any of you have any unsatisfactory habits, I guess of course, that, it, that the probability that it appeared to start off with choice. And that at the beginning, one says, oh, I'll choose to have A. I'll choose to take A. I'll choose to uh, pursue A. Then you can just add your word or words to it. You know what I mean. And, And it seems that it started off, whether it was in youth or earlier or teens or twenties or whatever, oh, I'll choose to do this. I'll, I'll have one, I'll have an extra, or whatever. And unbeknown that the time gap, this is important here, the time gap between the original choice to take something and then repeating it, whatever it might be, often gets shorter. And then the habit or the pattern has come in a little bit stronger, and so the time again gets a bit shorter. The feeling of choice begins to diminish and get less and less. And as that time gap 
begins to dissolve, what seems to happen is that the pattern gets more solidified inside. It gets stronger. It can be about anything. And in, and it's, and it, in its solidification uh, of it, it becomes part of the daily life. So it starts off with choice, it starts off, it appears, with space between one and the other. The time gets, gets shorter, it becomes a habit, and then we say the habit becomes um, an identification with, as we're hearing in the inquiry, it becomes um, an addiction, it becomes a, a problem, or whatever. And it seems like the choice, which started off, has been taken away. And then one's got the problematic issue of how to get out of this. And I know, and we know, and I know that there are a number of people in the hall who are in the midst of struggling with this. So it seems then that in such a situation it is hard to make fresh beginnings when endings are so difficult. And therefore, fresh, be- fresh beginnings seem to come more easily in life when one is able to bring something to completion. That attendance to ending and working uh, with that, sometimes we get the message that we ought to be able to do it entirely by ourselves. One has a habit and some of you will be thinking in terms of alcohol, I know, we'll be thinking in terms of drugs, we'll be thinking in terms of food issues, we'll be thinking of compulsive shopping, or whatever it might be. But, those are just some expressions uh, of it. Sometimes the habit is just doing too much. Working oneself to the bone, and overdoing it in every area and getting more and more unhappy, more and more sense of feeling quite unfulfilled, even if one appears relatively successful to other people. That habit may be one of constantly putting oneself down, feeling that one is hopeless, no good, not good for anything, can't do anything properly, or uh, whatever. That habit may be feeling constantly misunderstood, misjudged, hurt, rejected, neglected, forgotten, or whatever. So when we're speaking of situations in life and the view that we have or the action that we take, the habit seems to be gets shorter and shorter in time. Sometimes we need to be critical of ourselves. Sometimes we need to take a real good look at what's going uh, on with ourselves and highlight some of our vulnerabilities, our failings, our um, uh, situations where we are not handling a situation well. Perfectly appropriate response to help us be aware, to look at ourselves. But there are occasions and times when we're always doing it. We can't see anything else but fault with ourselves. We can't appreciate our, ourselves because we've got a, a, an intense 
intent, uh, tendency to see only what's wrong. And therefore we never feel right. We never feel deeply okay. So when I'm speaking of the influence, the unsatisfactory influences, the karma of the past impacting and influencing the present, it can work in a whole variety of different ways. And sometimes we say, rather foolishly to ourselves, if only I didn't have this problem, I'd be fine. Oh, human beings, the idealism is unbelievable. If only I wasn't like this, I could just overcome this, everything would be fine. If I could just have a kind of specialised lobotomy for one part and just snip it off, then my life would be so bright and clear and fulfilled. Oh, oh, wish it was so easy. If, if, that, if that could be done, I think it'd be worth popping down to Torbay Hospital and having that link cut off so everything is clear. But what happens very easily, of course, that it can just move from one thing to another. The tendency towards identification, grasping, clinging and holding and the pattern just switches from one thing to another. So in the stopping and taking a look at ourselves and our relationship to, to things, an important factor is what is the motivation? How is the motivation? It's the motivation, uh, the intention. Those of you who are familiar with the uh, Noble Eightfold Path will know that the second link is right intention. That the intention is the key factor. And that resolution of the intention, quietly and purposefully, and the supportive reminders and feedback from others is one of the means at our disposal to help work with making changes which need to be made. Is the intention there? The people who come, I'm not sure what percentage of you, and, and use this um, overloaded word, uh, busy. And in these kind of places, one hears this uh, word. Uh, sometimes it's every third word in somebody's slight exaggeration, but you know what I mean? It's used so uh, frequently. So those poor people who have to keep listening to it can be quite exhausting. Busy, 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 busy. And there is a certain ego satisfaction in being busy. It gives one a kind of feeling that one is somebody. What? I've no idea. But one feels to be somebody because one is very, very busy. And with the busyness goes the complaint. And the complaint says, oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time. And this we put out and bore the pants off everybody because they want to tell us how busy they are as well and we don't give them a chance because we're spending 20 minutes letting them know how busy we are. And the busyness 
and the complaining which often accompanies it doesn't make a scrap of difference to anything. One's got no interest in ending it, no interest in new beginnings. One is only interested in busyness and complaining. And in, if one is a little bit successful in what one does, but not have to be very successful in life, just a little bit of success in, in uh, um, anything. You know, I um, write books, they are regularly at the top of the least sellers list. And one only has to look at Amazon.com UK and one sees one's books, I think my, one of mine was, I'm not sure, either 770,000 on the list or 79,000, but it's way up there. And so one has, does these things, one's halfway successful or whatever in uh, uh, whatever the activity uh, uh, is. And the years of, are passing by and so the result of uh, the years passing by then comes whatever it might be, more letters or more emails or more requests or more information or more this or, or more that. Someone is getting more and more busy some of you know this only too well, more and more busy, but the aging process is settling in, settling in very, very nicely. And one looks at one's teenage daughter, I have an 18-year-old teenage daughter, and thinks, my God, how does she live like that? Etc. And going to bed at 4 o'clock in the morning and then being in the hospital at 7 o'clock in the morning on duty. How do they live like this, these teenagers? And then one looks at one's own bed and one is trying to maintain, or some are, the same level of energy of the 20s and 30s or whatever it might be. And the demands are greater and the energy is going down. One is getting older. And one thinks that one should be able to maintain something and even do more. And therefore the busyness get stronger. And then comes the stress. And one is still talking about it, that recently in Britain, one I read that before the major reason for people being off work was back problems, and now this has been changed, and now the major reason for absence from work is, is stress. What is this extraordinary phenomena of stress? It, one looks at it inwardly, it's the desire to get things done and fear of not getting them done and there is a collision of these two forces. I want to get it finished, I'm afraid I won't get it done in time. Put these two forces together, it's the perfect recipe for a stressful existence. And we go and talking about it, we pop along to the local psychotherapist and talk about it. We go down to the local gym and, and do some of those extraordinary things of being on a bicycle which is not going anywhere. And all of this activity that's going on there, and we think this will answer the stress. How could it? It's a temporary relief. The answer to stress is looking at desire and fear and 
even before that, am I really interested in living a clear life? Am I genuinely interested in wisdom? Or am I no different from those poor rats in those dreadful, obscene animal clinics or uh, experimental laboratories who put them on the wheel and see how much stress they get when they go round and round. So it isn't easy to say, am I genuinely interested in change, which for some people will mean a genuine interest in ending things which need to end. And unless we get the intention established with ourselves and say, yes, I genuinely am interested in that, from that the steps can be made. Talking about it is not the way. Unless underneath the talking there is commitment. Real commitment. About anything in life that matters. Because I think as a, as a species we're, we're, we're basically um, totally out to lunch and, um, and it manifests itself in a whole variety of ways. And so sometimes we use the wonderful uh, introduction to statements which have no meaning and they often start off with I must. If ever you start a sentence off with anybody and it says, I must, you can rest assured you don't want to change. Once the I must comes in, I must do something about this, I must improve this, I must change this, it's usually a way of feeling a kind of comfort inside, because it feels good to say I must. But actually, having heard so many I must, um, over the last 20 uh, years in retreats, workshops and other situations whether it's a, a sign of um, ageing I'm not sure you can might say with Christopher I don't know but it, often it's a temporary movement and so any resolution that comes to make inner change as the Buddha wisely pointed out the further that we go from the here and now about it, the less interest there is. The further we go from the here and now, the less interest there is in making change. It's an avoidance mechanism, which gives a little temporary comfort in the present. Oh, come the new millennium, I'm really going to start the new millennium off with a clear, I'm going to do a retreat every single year, twice a year, no, three times, uh, a year, etc. <coughs> Mind is the great postponer of looking into the nature of things. One of the areas of change which do affect life and can be difficult and can be painful and that is the area of personal relationships and that may include between lovers that may uh, include 
between family members. It may include between friends, employers, employees, the whole gamut and variety of personal relationships. And sometimes, in the experience and awareness of towards endings and fresh beginnings, we may end something, or something may be ended for us. And the difficulty and the painfulness of it might be that very, very quickly we rush into a new beginning. And the quick movement into it is a way, understandably and very human, of feeling some satisfaction and some pleasure and something starting anew as a way of getting away from the old. You've been in a relationship, just say you had a lover or whatever, been, in, been married, had a partner, etc. It has come to its end for all the reasons that something comes to its end, countless numbers, obviously. And then very, very quickly, one enters into a fresh relationship. It's almost sometimes before the heat in the heart, mind and body has gone out and one started again. And then, some time has gone by and one finds oneself unfortunately repeating the history. I'm doing in this relationship exactly as I did in the previous one. I seem to be living the same old story again and I had the belief at the time that the grass was clearly greener on the other side of the fence. And therefore, I don't have a new beginning, as I thought. What I actually have is a continuity of the old. Buddha says on this, he says, he, says, he compares the situation to a fire. And sometimes there is a fire in relationship. Some of you, I know, are experiencing fire in relationship at this time in your, in, in your life. And in that fire uh, relationship, relationship stops. So the fire can't continue. But is one able to let things become cool before fresh beginnings start? And that isn't always easy. Sometimes one wants to rush into something new as a way to get away from the uh, old and it may work, but it's a often, I think, a hit-and-miss situation. Therefore, if one is coming out of something and something is finishing, in an area of your life, I'm just taking relationship, but many others, which is important to you, there is a transition from ending to beginning. And even though in Dharma life we say, well, every moment is a transition. Yes, it's true. No moment stands still. Yes, it's true. But there are some periods of our life which genuinely feel to be more of a transition. And we know we're in a transition. If we are, what is going to keep us with enough steadiness to let the heat of the old go cool? So that we don't burn ourselves up again through repeating the history.
I think we need to know ourselves fairly well for that. I think we need to know ourselves well enough in life that in making that transition, sometimes it's a matter of days, weeks, months, year, year or two, or whatever, before one can truly say to oneself with one's hands on one's heart, yes, the old situation has, is now cool, I'm not carrying issues around about it, I feel steady, I'm out of the tunnel of the old, I've given it time and space, and now I am ready to move on to take fresh steps. When we can say that with ourselves, not easy, but with hand on heart, I would say that's wisdom talking. Not easy. No one is saying it is easy. But to ignore all of that and to rush willy-nilly into something new, not having cooled out the, uh, out the old, such a recipe for difficulty. In endings and beginnings again, uh, one of the important uh, areas is in the uh, area of death deaths of those who are close to us. And there are some people who, just as I had a meeting uh, the other day with somebody whose uh, relative, grandparent, uh, died. And the person said to me, it was the first time in his life he knew somebody who had died. There are plenty of people (coughs) who have never seen a corpse who have never watched the last breath go out of a person's body, have never seen the change from life uh, uh, into death. To some degree, I think rather unfortunately, society hides all of this from us. But in that change is where there is death in life. Sometimes the impact of that upon, upon us, of loss and separation, and that kind of information which comes to us out of the blue about someone who is close to us, who, who, who we know. There's often the recognition and acknowledgement, of course, of the importance, again, of allowing the heart to express itself, allowing the feelings to unfold in, in, in the way that they, they, they do. And there's a strange thing that goes on with us, and it's a very common thing, is where there is loss, it may be death, it may be separation, you know, the ending of a relationship or whatever, and one knows deep down there is no possibility for a return to what was. Death, endings, in the case of relationship or whatever, one can't go back to what was. And sometimes that may show itself in the ageing process as well. One can't go backwards in the years, etc., And it can be inwardly rather painful and difficult to acknowledge that. What happens when we take care and look into ourselves is that there is an ending which is taking place and in that ending we feel the hurt and the sadness 
and maybe the moments of grief and despair which go along with it. But sometimes the soul enters, and, and its ego, enters into some other activity in relationship to the past. And what I mean is, it misunderstands loyalty. And so sometimes there is a transition through loss and through separation. And the mind holds on to the past in the name of what? In the name of love. And some it feels if I don't hold on to that memory or to that person or whatever, then it's some state of not being loyal to. It's, it's a state of not being connected with. And so sometimes when we need to take a, a long, deep and honest look at our, uh, ourselves, we may need to ask ourselves in relationship to someone that one loved and it's finished, it's over, given some allowances for the difficult feelings that may arise, to again ask ourselves, hand on heart again, am I holding on? And using some kind of rationalization for the holding on. It might be called love, it might be called loyalty, it might be called connection with, or whatever. Not only, in a way, is it a disservice to the other person, whether they've moved on, or whether they have died, or whatever, but also, in a way, it becomes a disservice to life. Because we're giving great authority to memory. And we're not giving authority to the actuality of life. We're giving it to image, and to pictures, and to stories, and to memories. And that isn't the reality. It, they are pictures, they are images. And we might need to ask ourselves, if I am holding on to him, or her, or whatever, is that what they would want from me? To cling to the old. Hard to imagine any loving person would want that of another person. So there are points and times in our life where in addressing and attending to our life may be vital for us to ask ourselves in, 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 perma- in, in the impermanences of all this existence that is the intention there for change is there holding going on? Is there holding going on? Holding in these teachings means suffering. Holding stops liberation. Holding prevents the new and the fresh coming in. All that has been spoken about in the uh, in endings and beginnings, and some would think, oh my goodness, a grim talk from Christopher this evening is usually a little bit more humour, but anyway. In um, endings and beginnings that uh, uh, take place, and bringing an awareness and insight to really look into endings and beginnings. Maybe we can take a step further 
and in a way a more bold step in our relationship to things not an easy one uh, what I'm going to say or to touch upon here just a, a little bit it was touched upon a little bit in the, one of the inquiries uh, this afternoon why are we in this whole world of unfolding process making such an incredible fuss this is where the discomfort will come in why are we making such an incredible fuss about anything that goes on in this world given all that we experience and all that we know about it already birth ageing pain death coming going starting finishing beginning ending arising passing since this goes on and everything confirms it every season confirms it every movement of life confirms it every new day and the ending of the day keeps confirming it everything that comes to our eyes keeps confirming change keeps confirming coming and going keeps confirming impermanence life and death this and that since it's right up front it's in our eyes in our ears all the time this is it what is it that we have got ourselves caught in a way of as the Buddha said grief lamentation and despair what has happened that we've got so caught in in which we want to deny what every day in every moment is telling us that one thing goes from one thing to the other and for something to begin something has to end what's stopping us from really making that so clear to ourselves we therefore can accommodate birth we can accommodate death and we can accommodate change because we know this is how the world shows itself or make it so clear it goes right deep into the deepest place in the heart into the deepest emotion and there's no denial there's no avoidance we're abundantly clear and in certain situations in our life we know we're extra vulnerable I have an 18 year old daughter I love her to bits she's the best thing since sliced bread but one knows as a parent or some of you who are parents will know therefore it requires in that extra awareness extra vigilance I'm not her controller I'm not her owner I'm not her possessor she's not mine yet one gives the love yet one gives the support yet one gives the guidelines which she takes no notice of and all that goes with parenting yet she rings me up and says Dad, can you pay £489.90 per month for her student residency? Dad, yesterday's phone call, Dad, I'm £549 overdrawn on my visa. Oh, Dad. Oh, children, teenagers, or whatever. And in 
Oh, that one says, yes, we'll give support, we do what we can, etc., uh, uh, um, uh, etc. Et but one never knows in the process of life, in the unfoldment of life, how long our loved ones will be with us. Any more than we know how long the leaves will stay on the tree during the autumn. And that kind of clarity deep, deep down in the, be- in, in, in the being so that we don't take that which is close to us for granted and that certainly has to include our own existence. That's what wisdom is about. It's about not holding, it is about seeing clearly. I was in Mallorca a few weeks ago giving uh, uh, teachings there and I remember a year ago a woman came uh, who participated in the inquiry and she sat down really just a delightful uh, human uh, human being and she and her husband had uh, adopted uh, a baby from uh, Ethiopia and the child was now seven years old of age and was the real joy of their life. And she spoke about this happiness and joy that she felt in, in being able to do something for those who, who are so uh, unfortunate. Just when I, uh, just before I arrived a year later, a friend said to me, oh, Christopher, do you remember the person who was... Um, at that retreat with you the previous year who participated in the inquiry who had adopted a seven year, heard a seven year old who they'd adopted when the child was a year or two old I said yes, yes, very well, I remember her very well she said, well just a few weeks ago they were driving back from school and somebody in Mallorca on the other side of the dual carriageway fell asleep at the car and crashed into their car and the mother and the daughter were both killed can you imagine for the father? Can you imagine the, the, the pain waiting for his wife and his adopted daughter to come home from school and then the life's gone, never to come back? Imagine the hurt inside because one person fell asleep at their car wheel on a, on a summer's day and sailed across the dual carriageway. So sometimes when we're looking at change and endings and beginnings, yes, it's wonderful if we have, as it were, some privilege in life to initiate and make the changes ourselves. But sometimes changes come to us unwelcome, unwanted, uninvited, unexpected, totally out of the blue. It still demands a great deal of wisdom to to live with it and not fall into despair. So our practice is a practice of awareness and insight and seeing clearly and staying as well and effectively as in touch with things as much as we can with that vigilance about holding at all. Not with love. Not with the great insights that love can bring and generate but with the holding that can go with it. And if we find that wisdom and live that wisdom then we know the Buddha mind. Then we know the Buddha heart. That's what it is. That's what the Buddha mind is. And that's available to men and uh, women who are genuinely willing to really take a look and with that uh, wisdom they will feel a freedom 
and a deep compassion for life, a deep care for life. And in that deep wisdom of life, the extraordinary thing about it is that as human beings, in that deep liberating wisdom, we have the capacity to accommodate all changes. We can accommodate with that wisdom any event of life, anything whatsoever. And that surely is worth discovering. That surely is worth knowing about. May all beings live with insight. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings live a wise and enlightened life. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.